All right, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Good to see you all tonight. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to come in one of these days, and all of you are going to be, like, sitting right up front. You're going to be in these first couple rows. And then I'm going to wake up and realize it was a dream. A dream to have you all close around the sort of... Uh, <laughs> Well, open to Deuteronomy chapter 31. I left my glasses upstairs, so we're going to just... Uh, I do wear bifold. I'm going to be... No, I'm going to be good. We're going with it. We're going with it. No, it's all right. We get every other word. You guys know what I'm saying. All right. Let's look at verse 9. We're going to start in verse 9 tonight. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 9. Let's bow our heads. Let's get our hearts ready to hear from the word of the Lord tonight. He's going to meet us right where we are. This, this Sunday we had a, a time of prayer. I wasn't here. I was picking up Parker, but uh, just a lot of brokenness. And it's beautiful, you know, just being emptied out and watching the Lord meet us right in our circumstances. And I look at this passage we're in, and I'm like, Lord, this is so sweet. This, this last moments with Moses, him with the people, and then, and then him alone with God, I, it's, it's magnificent. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for preserving this, Lord, that we can get the most intimate details, God, that you've preserved for all of humanity, Lord, that we can read this, that we can know your heart and your character and your love for your servants and your, your children, Lord. And Lord, how much Moses loved you and Joshua and, and the family that was gathered there, the two to three million people, Lord, and, and you loved every one of them. You knew every hair on their head. And, and Lord, even when you gave that song, that, that's really prophetic in so many ways to, to Moses as we're going to read in the next chapter 32, Lord, and just, to, just that we would never forget your love and your warning, that we need your commandments and statutes. We need your character, Jesus. We need you to calibrate us, get our minds right tonight, Lord. Allow us to be emptied out, poured out as just living sacrifices, Lord holy, pleasing to you, having our minds here renewed. You tell us in Romans, that's our, that's just our good service. It's what, it's what we should do. So God, we want to enter into this tonight, Lord. We want to just enter into your spirit and unity and your heart and your mind, Lord. Let your heart and mind just overwhelm us here tonight. That we would hear what your spirit has to say. Jesus, we ask this in your holy name, our King of kings, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen, amen. Well, we'll pick up here in verse 9. We've come as far as verse 9. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting as he goes through and he, he's going to talk about how every seven years they were to gather and they were to read the law uh, corporately. You know, the whole, think about that, the whole law corporately, right? Some of us, we spend an hour, right? 45 minutes in church or, you know, and we're like, oh man, you know, our, our butts are asleep. We got to move our legs. I can't, can you imagine hours and hours? I can. It would be awesome. Just like that under the word. And, and I, I wonder that's what it's going to be like in heaven. You know, we're going to have that opportunity as Jesus just reveals all of scripture to us. And we're going to see without a mirror, a mirror dim, right? As we read in first Corinthians, 
but we're, it's going to be so spiritual 2020. We're, I, I can't wait. I don't know what you, Maranatha, amen? Maranatha, I can't wait. And so that's what we see here. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Did you catch what just happened there? God commanded Moses in chapter 31, verse 9, to write out the entire law. Not only were the priests, the rabbis were to do that, right? Who else were to do that? Do you remember? In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, that's right, kings. Kings were also to write that out because it was to be on their mind, in their hearts. God bless you. God bless you. The bifocals help. Thank you. Verse 10, and Moses commanded them saying at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing, right? We see this modeled actually in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter eight. Uh, If you read, it's uh, verse 18, we begin to see this actually modeled out, right? Now, it's interesting. He says, gather the people together, men and women and little ones and the strangers who are within the gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. Now, as we look at this right here in verse 12, when you think to scripture, and I, I'm, I don't know how many times you've been through the word, if you've ever been through the word, but as you go and you, it's just a cursory reading of the word of God, we would see this actually wasn't carried out as often. God said this was to be every seven years. But the first time that we read it, it will be in Joshua chapter 8, verse 30, when he has a public reading of the law. The next time we'll, we'll read it is when King Jehoshaphat, right? When his reign in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 7, that's more than 500 years later. 500 years later, okay? It's supposed to be how many years? Every what? Seven years. 500 years later. Okay, then in the reign of Josiah, there was another public reading of the law in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 30, right? That was more than 250 years after Jehoshaphat. Now, I'm not saying there weren't public readings, you know, that, that, that might have happened. We, we just don't have any, any account of that anywhere else in Scripture. But because it's not recorded means more than likely, guess what? It probably didn't happen. When you neglect God's word, it's no wonder that Israel had such trouble. When we neglect, you knew where I was going with this, huh? When we neglect God's word the trouble we find ourselves in. Amen? We need the word of God. And that the children, this is very important, he's talking here in verse 13, who have not known it, they've never heard the word of God. They may hear it, learn to fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live in the land when you cross Jordan to possess it. You know what he's saying? When you have personal relationship with Jesus. That's what he's saying. The word of God. The logos. That's what he was speaking about. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. Can I say it another way? That I'm going to do what? Commission. And we just had one this this Sunday, 
we, we, we didn't, who did who we ordained? Pastor Steve, right? Steve Walters in ordination, right? Well, here's exactly what we see. That's what this is. He says, call Joshua and present yourself in the tabernacle, meaning that you may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle meeting. This is important. They're both together. So when God starts speaking to Moses, Joshua is going to be able to hear all of this because he's presented there at the front. God will be there in a pillar and he'll be able to speak directly to Moses and Joshua will hear all this. This is important because some come back and say, well, how did Joshua know all these things or how could this have been? And God's given it to us right in, right in the word of God here. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, you will rest with your fathers and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of foreigners of the land where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day. And I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured and many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. That's the reason, isn't it? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil, this is God speaking, which they have done in that they have turned to other gods, idolatry. Now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves. Why did he give them a song? I've said it before. You take a little baby, right? You take a little baby. You put a little music on. What's that baby do, huh? Starts shaking, right? He starts moving. That little baby's jamming, right? It's something built into us. God has given us that love for worship, that love for praise. It's built into us to want to worship God and praise him. But there's something else. It stimulates the memory, right? We, when we sing, we, we, we remember the verses. That's why when we, Amazing Grace, probably most of us right here without the words up there, couldn't we probably sing Amazing Grace acapella right now, all of us, if we want? You know, why? Because we remember. We sing, we remember. It's beautiful. He's giving them this song. And, and in some ways, this song is prophetic because when you read the song, it's, it's more like a national anthem more than anything else for Israel. If they would have only obeyed God. But because they won't, it becomes very predictive and it speaks to their downfall. But this was their choice. And I wonder if this is exactly what's happening to the United States of America right now. We should be sober-minded about these things. So he says... Now, therefore, write down this song yourselves and teach it to your children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and fulfilled or filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them. And they will provoke me and break my covenant. He says, when they get fat, when they get comfortable, when they get lazy, when they, be able to, when they become independent instead of dependent on God. Isn't that what happened with David? David decided not to go out to war where he belonged with the men on the field, and he held himself back, and it led to sin. 
Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify. That means bear witness against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, for I know the inclination of their behavior. Today, even before I have brought them out to the land of which I swore to give them. So God's not ignorant to that. It shows his sovereignty, doesn't it? He knows what will be, but that doesn't change his love. That doesn't change his grace. Therefore, Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then they inaugurated Joshua, ordained him the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. Seven times God speaks that to Joshua. Be strong. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book, when they finished that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord saying, take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God that it may be there as a witness against you. Hebrews chapter nine, verse four tells us that we eventually see manna in that Ark, right? We see Aaron's rod that had budded and we see uh, basically the book of Genesis through Deuteronomy, the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy in that ark. And it was to do what again? That it may be there as a what? Witness against you. Why those three things? How God provides and preserves manna. How God can go through any uh, outstretched arm through Aaron's rod that budded to show his magnificence. And how God had left his word as a living testimony because it's God breathed for generation to generation, never, ever passing away. Always for the remnant. Always for those that are steadfast and holy, willing to submit to the living word of God. And we have it today. God preserved it for us, don't we? Most of us have more than one Bible. Like, unlike any other time in history. Do you realize men and women died to hold the Bible you have in your hand today? They were martyred. Do you know that in China today, certain areas and provinces, if they're caught with a Bible, they're martyred? In the Middle East, in certain countries where they practice Islam, if they have a Bible, their wife and children are beheaded right in front of their husband. And then the husband is killed if he doesn't surrender and turn around and profess Allah or Muhammad that way. And in this book that we have, why are they so threatened? Why is the world so threatened by the Bible? We know, don't we? Because it's truth. And there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else you have in your possession. Not your house, not your cars, not your not anything like the Bible. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? This is Moses saying this. Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in the hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them as God has done 
For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the ways which I have commanded you. How did Moses know all this? Because he was given the song. The song that he wrote down in one day that we're about to read in chapter 32, which discloses all of these details. And turn aside from the way which I commanded you and and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. I, I want you to think what you, put, put, put yourself in Moses' shoes for a moment. You know, you're an under shepherd of a church of two to three million people. You love them. God wanted to wipe them out and give you another group of people because he said, these, these people, look, they chase after their own lust, their own desires. Here, let me, God, let me, let me give you a people that won't do. And Moses says, no. What was Moses doing? He was being conformed to that man that would love those people as a good shepherd should. As a type pointing to Jesus Christ, the true shepherd that would never leave nor forsake his people. As we read in Zechariah in the latter days, chapter 11 on, about the shepherds, the under-shepherds, the pastors that will, they'll run and scatter. And the people will run and scatter. We're already starting to see that. We're starting to see it already. Be wise. Hear what the Spirit of God has to say. There's no coincidence. Please be wise. So he says, gather the elders, right? Gather your officers, I want to speak this word in their hearing that they may know. He says, because these things will befall you. Then Moses spoke in the hearing to all the assembly of Israel, the words of this song until they were ended. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. I'm not going to sing it for you, all right? And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. In other words, my witness. The first four verses are an introduction to the song. You ever have that? Your brain goes faster than your mouth can? Yeah. <laughs> Let my teaching drop as the rain. My speech distill the dew as rain do- drops on the tender herb. Look, look at Psalm, turn, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 72, uh, verse 6, if you wouldn't mind. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 72, verse 6 here. And we read... Speaking of the glory of the reign of the Messiah that will be, right? How he shall come down. Listen to how it's referenced. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. Isn't that like what we just read here? That's what he's talking about. It's it's similar to what we had just read here right now. He says, let my teaching drop as the rain. My speech distills the dew as drain drops on the tender herb. It's the word of God going forward. And as showers on the grass. Verse three, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. We'll see that seven times in this chapter. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. Who is that rock? And how do we know that? 1 Corinthians 10, turn in your Bibles. We've read it as we've been going through it on Sundays, uh, during our Sundays. But if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and you look at verse 4, right? Well, 
It says, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So who are we talking about? We're talking about Messiah. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord? O foolish and unwise people, is he not your father who bought you? We're blood bought, man. He has not made you. Has he not made you, excuse me, and established you? Remember the days of old, considering the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you when the most high divided their inheritance to the nation. This is an interesting text, actually, verse eight, um, because it revolves around, you know, Israel, uh, the people and the land. I don't know if you've ever read this text or this verse and passage here, but it's very interesting. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nation, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. This is why the Middle East is at the center of everything when it comes to a biblical timeline. Because the people, the Jewish people, Israel, and the land, God's land, Jerusalem, Israel, is at the center of this timepiece because it says from the very beginning, from the boundaries of the people that were created, knowing one day Israel will be that God went ahead and set his inheritance up that way. That our eyes would be focused on that timepiece. That's why even unbelievers, even, in, you know, Presidents, for how many generations upon generations have gone and what have they tried to do in the Middle East? Establish a peace agreement. Why don't we hear that in France or in Italy or Greece or the European Union or, you know, anywhere else in the world? Why is it so focused on Israel in the Middle East and the land of Jerusalem? Because even they know. It centers on the timepiece of God. And that is his people, Israel, and the land. Because that's where he's coming back. And all eyes will see it. We'll be looking up from the mezzanines when we come down with them on the horses, man. We're coming with them. Right? What do you, what do you look to? Do you look to the... the, the clock, the nuclear clock, the atomic clock, what clock do you pay attention to? My eyes are focused on Israel. And if you look at what's going on over there, we're seeing the very same thing happening today in America happening in Israel. I, I don't, wherever your political persuasion may be, men that are trying to stand for righteousness, you know, that are standing in the gap, that we've been given... A time, I've been saying this for the last three or four years, a time of reprieve, haven't I? We, we have been given a time. The pause button is hit. That's the way I've said it. The pause button is hit. You got Bibi over there, right? Comes to our country, goes in front, reads to our own Congress the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, to the United States of America. How about that? And they're trying to, you know, get him out. They're trying to take the president out. Nobody wants it. Trying to get him out. 
and they want to bring a whole new movement in. And this has all been planned. And this isn't conspiracy theory. Don't, don't go be Bereans. Go look at it. But what's going on in Israel? Look at the political fashions happening, the factions that are being, it's just like what's happening here. There is no coincidence. You can't look at both of these things happening at the same time and going, well, isn't that just dumb luck? No, we're not ignorant people. You can't miss it. There's a coup to it. There really, really is. And you just, you start to see this happening and it's happening before our eyes. And so much of the world is not looking to that timepiece. They're not looking at Israel. They're not looking at Jerusalem. They're not seeing what's happening. We are so close. I hope you're living like at your last moments here on earth. I, I really hope you're living with the doctrine of imminency. I, I, I pray that everybody's living that way and that you have oil in your lamps because Jesus is coming soon. Let's continue, but it's striking as we see this. And in verse eight, he reminds us, and he said it would be for all generation. It would be everybody that would understand this, that as it would be played forward, that we would all have an understanding, including us today. For the Lord's portion is his people. Do you see that? Jacob is the place of his inheritance. There it is. Where, where is he talking about? Israel, Right? He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him and instructed him. He kept him as an apple of his eye. This, this idea here in the Hebrew, when he talks about the apple of the eye, it's not just pointing to something where he's, he's talking about when your eye begins to dilate and the pupil specifically dilates and becomes laser focused. He says, that's what the people of Israel are for God. And we as his children, likewise, because we are in the new covenant. We are, we've already received that blessing of Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31, 31. That was, that's promised to Israel. But as new covenant believers, we've received that new heart, haven't we? We've see, received that new covenant through his shed blood. Every once a month, we celebrate it through communion. We recount it. We've already received that. Israel will receive it soon and very soon when they cry out for help. For Yeshua, when they cry out to Messiah, right? They're going to cry out. And he's pointing them back. He's saying, look, don't ever forget, you are the apple of my eye. He says, they're the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them up on its wings. So the Lord alone led him. And there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride to the heights of the earth. Can you just picture that on eagle's wings? You ever seen an eagle soar? That he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds from the cattle and milk of the flock with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat. Oh man, if they would only obey God, all that awaited them, the, the produce, the, I mean, even now look at how God's blessed Israel with their produce, and, but all that would have awaited them, the choicest wheat and you drank wine and the blood of grapes and then he goes, but Jeshurun. Now that's not an individual. That's not a person and that's not a title. That's speaking of Israel, right? It, it literally means um, the upright one. The upright one. That's the exact translation for Jeshurun, but it speaks to 
Israel, right? It, it, turn in your Bibles to Israel, uh, to Israel, to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 2. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 2, it says, Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Who did God choose? Israel, his chosen people. Jeshurun, my chosen people. He's using it one and the same so that we know who he's talking about. That's how you can know that specifically speaking of Israel. He says, but Jeshurun, Israel, grew fat and kicked. Who does this sound like? You grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. Then you forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock, Jesus, of his salvation. What country does that sound like today, friends? The United States of America, doesn't it? They provoked him to jealousy. With foreign gods, with abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that their fathers did not fear. Of the rock of Jesus who begot you, you are mindful, unmindful. You're not even thinking about God. You're not even thinking about Jesus. And you have forgotten the God who fathered you. Israel was adopted and chosen. Not because there was anything supernatural about them. They were one of the meekest. But God had placed them in his bosom, close to his heart. And that's what he's done for you and I. There was nothing about us, right? That it was God's agape love for you and I that saved us. You know, his love for us. Never forget God. Never forget that sure father in heaven. No matter what earthly father or what you've had, good, bad, indifferent, God, your father, will never disappoint you. He will give you with an, he will love you with an unending love. A love that's beyond our comprehension. Just so. I don't know, engrossed in it. It's wonderful to think about that kind of love. Unconditional, no strings attached. Just true, genuine love. And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them. Because of the provocation of his sons, so sort of we, we begin to look at verses 19 through 25 here. This is a judgment of God on his people. That, that's what we're going to be looking at here. And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said to them, I will hide my face from them. I will see that their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation, for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set a fire on the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters on them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of the beast with the poison of the serpents of the dust. 
the sword shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within. For the young man and virgin, the nursing child of the man of gray hairs. Now, in verses 26, really through 42, he's going to sort of transition into this longing he has. God longing for his people, his chosen bride, Jerusalem. His chosen people. He says, I would have said, I will dash them in pieces. I will make the memory of them to cease from among men. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand. Did you catch that? Lest they should say, our hand is high and is not the Lord who has done all this. In other words, it would bring shame to God because they would sit there and say, well, where is your God now? Where he did, he's going to do all this. He's going to redeem them. As we read in Ezekiel chapter 36, he's going to give them a new heart. He's going to do these things, but he says he does it for his glory. It's not that there's, again, something about the people that is so unique. Why is that important? Because if you're here tonight or you're hearing this and you're sitting there going, well, I don't think I'm good enough. Guess what? Nobody's good enough. And God wants to receive you right where you are. And he doesn't wait for you to arrive before he saves you. He saves you in the middle of your trial and your circumstance. At your lowest point ever is where he meets you and he draws you in and he frees you. That's, that's the God we serve. That's, that's our Lord. That's Abba Father, right? That's Daddy. That's our, that's our Lord. We should know him for who he is. For they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. He's making it clear. Or that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider in the latter end. Oh, you know, he wishes that they would get this. How could one chase a thousand and put 10,000 to flight unless they're rock? Jesus had sold them. In other words, you would think like, you know, and the Lord had surrendered them. I mean, God had protected them. How could they understand how anything could come against them? Assyria, the, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, how could any of this happen if God didn't allow it? And you would think that would kind of wake them up to go, well, maybe something's off here. I don't know, maybe the, one of the prophets like Jeremiah coming in and saying, hey, Judah. You know, he's, but, the, but they didn't listen. They didn't want to listen. They didn't consider the latter end. For their rock is not like our rock. even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom in the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall, their clusters are bitter, their wine is poison of serpents and their cruel venom of cobras. Is this not laid up the store with me, sealed, upon, sealed up among my treasures? Vengeance is mine in recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come. He said, this is prophetic at this point. He's writing, he's telling them what will be now. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone. And that's exactly what happens, right? When the nations come upon them in Ezekiel 38, their power is gone. There is no peace and safety anymore. Security as they've been yelling for you know, years and you're, ah, oh, we're great. No, 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 Lord, help. And it's when they cry out, it's when their power is gone and there is no one remaining bond or free. He will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they sought of refuge. Who ate the fat of the In other words, look at your situation. Look at your dire situation now. And yet because of his mercy, what's he going to do? He's going to save them. 
He's going to save them. And it's what he's done for us. Where are their gods, the rock of which they sought refuge? In other words, their false idols. Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? It wasn't the idols they made or gods they made with their hands. Let them rise and help you and be your refuge. Now see that I, even I, as him he, and there is no God beside me, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Underline that in your Bible. Our God heals. Our God makes alive. Nor is there anyone who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrow drunk with blood and my sword shall devour the flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Isn't that interesting, right? For he will avenge the blood of his servants and render the vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement to his land and his people. So Moses came to Hoshea, or you might have Joshua, that's the same name, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all of Israel. Can you imagine? They were singing this, and they would sing this, that they would remember, that they would turn from their wicked ways. At any point in reciting the song, they would remember back, our dad, father told us about this. He said this would happen. We need to turn away from this. We need not to worship these false gods made with our hands. We need to turn to the living God because if not, we know what's coming. Vengeance is the Lord's. Judgment is coming. So it says, Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke the words of the song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said to them, set your hearts on all the words which I testify to you today, which you shall command your children to be careful and observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word, circle that, you shall prolong your days. Underline that. In the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess, God's word brings life. God's word brings life. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day saying, go up to this mountain, the mountain of Abram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab across from the Jericho, view the land of Canaan, which I gave to the children of Israel as a possession and die in the mountain, which you have ascended and be gathered to your people. Just as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because of your tres or because you trespassed, right? He misrepresented God. That's the sin of Moses. He misrepresented God to the people. And because of that, he was not able to go into the promised land. You see, the man of the law, the man of the law, Moses was the man of the law, the man of the law couldn't go in. It's Joshua. It's only Joshua, Jesus, that's going to bring him in. How many thousands of years later when he's transfigured, Jesus, that he brings Moses in? Do you ever think about that? It was Jesus that brought Moses into that land. The law couldn't bring him in. The law can't save. 
But Jesus could on the Mount of Transfiguration. When that happened, Moses appeared. And remember, Peter, oh, this is good. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad. Let's build booths. Let's, I'm, I'm glad I'm here for this. You know, Peter. You know, we're going to see Peter in heaven be like, oh, Peter, we love you. Come here. Come here, Peter. Now, Peter's going to open our eyes. He's going to open our eyes. But, you know, think about that. The law, the law couldn't bring Moses in. He trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, the bitterness, right? The water, the bitter waters, that's what that means. In the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hollow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into that land which I am giving the children of Israel. Now we're going to read in chapter 33 the final blessings. This should seem familiar to what Jacob had done in Genesis chapter 49. When Jacob poured out the blessings on his children, the tribes, when he was passing. Now we see Moses' final blessing. Now this is the blessing of which Moses, the man of God, blesses the children of Israel before his death. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came for 10,000 of his saints from his right hand, came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your word. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation to Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun, Israel. When the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel, you know, got together or gathered together like that. And in verse 6, he's going to start with the first tribe, and that's the tribe of Reuben. He says, let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. And this he said of Judah, hear the Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to the people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and he may, and may you be a help against his enemies. You know, when I, I look back, you know, when I was looking at the list in Genesis, the blessings of Genesis chapter 49, right around verse 10, uh, Jacob goes through and he gives the blessing to Judah. And when he starts to give that blessing to Judah, he says, till Shiloh comes, speaking of Messiah. And I just thought how it, you know, the promise for Judah that Messiah would come from that tribe. You know, part of the Davidic covenant as well, that the seed of David, the king, that there would be not one that would ever pass from that throne, that there would always be a high and a mighty king, our King Jesus. Hear the Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to the people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and he may be a help against his enemies. And Levi, he said, let your thummim and your ermum be with the Holy One. Did you notice something there? It's reversed. Normally, it's the ermum thummim. I don't know if that's any significance, but it's reversed. Whom you tested at Massa, and with whom you contended at the waters of Mirabah, bitterness, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments, all Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt sacrifices on your altar, bless his substance, the Lord, and accept the work of his hands, strike the loins of those who rise against him, and of those who hate him, they may rise not again. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him, who shelters him all day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. You know, you know who's of the tribe of Benjamin in our New Testament? Paul. And of Joseph, he said, blessed of the Lord in his land, 
with the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let the blessings come on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. His glory is like the firstborn bull, and his horns, horns in Bible speak to power, like the horns of a wild ox. Together with them, he shall push the people to the ends of the earth. They are 10,000 of Ephraim, or Ephraim, and of the thousands of Manasseh. And of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Ishkar in your tents, that there shall call peoples to the mountains, and they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness. For they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and the treasures hidden in the sand. And of Gad, he said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He dwells as a lion and tears the arm of the crown of his head. He provided the first part of himself because of the lawgiver's portion was reserved there. He came with his heads of the people and he administered the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp. He shall leap from Bashan. And of Naphtali, or he says, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of blessings of the Lord, possessed the west and the south. And of Asher. Asher is interesting. Um, Kevin, bring up a slide for me. Asher is the most blessed of the sons. Let him be favored by his brother and let him dip his foot in oil. That's interesting. Let's talk about that. How many thousands of years ago that was written? I want to show you something that just less than, what is it, about a year ago? You know, for generations, you know, years, years, as, we, as I've taught this passage, you know, you come to this and, and normally you say, well, one day we believe that there will be oil and it will be found in the land where Asher dwelt. And we kind of said, because God's word doesn't return void, one day will be. Well, it just so happens that I have an article that I pulled up because I was just like, I wonder if it's been confirmed because I know there was some talk in Israel that they thought they had struck or they had found oil. I'm going to read something to you. It's called Oil in the North, Moses's Blessing Coming to Life. Okay, and this article is uh, February 27th, 2018. Uh, Zion Oil and Gas is currently exploring for oil and gas in Israel in areas located onshore between Haifa and Tel Aviv. Moses' blessing to the tribe of Asher regarding oil in the allotment of the land is continuing to come to fruition. As Zion Oil and Gas announced Tuesday, now, by the way, if you've been tracking Zion Oil and Gas, their primary focus is to go all around Israel to search for oil and natural gas reserves. And up to this point, they really haven't found a whole lot. Uh, and that's their job. They're kind of going around and doing this. Well, they found, they found it. And they announced Tuesday that it has definitely found oil and it's nearing the testing of the well for commercial uh, use. We also recognize that the goal of this well was to find oil, and we can say that the absolute confidence that we are successful in attaining that goal, said Zion's president and chief of operations, Dustin Gouin. The next crucial step is being able to effectively test and establish the well's commerciality. I'm excited about this phase, as it will be crucial and a historic moment for Zion and its shareholders. Zion Oil and Gas was founded for the purpose of exploring oil for uh, for oil and gas in Israel and reaching production levels that would help Israel become energy independent. Just think about that for a minute. Energy independent. I wonder why Putin is so interested in Syria and the land that borders 
Israel and why he set up ports there as we look at, well, we don't have time. I'd show you the oil, the, 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 where it comes through the port right there at the cusp, the south end. It's striking. That's all I'll say. Be, go and look it up. It's interesting. Zion and Gaza, Delaware Corporation, explores for oil and gas in Israel in areas located onshore. Um, and it goes on to say that they hold two licenses, one in Asher and one in um, uh, the south of Haifa, north, for its inception. Interesting times we're living, huh? Again, more than a year and a half ago, I, I, I couldn't have, when I was reading this, I would have read it the way I read last few years and times, but it's being fulfilled before our very eyes. Scripture and prophecy is being fulfilled. It's said it would be, you're reading it right before your eyes here. Some had up to this point said, well, maybe this means olive oil. I love olive oil. My sister just brought me back some olive oil from Israel. I love olive oil. That's not what this is talking about, right? This, this, is, this is clearly talking about oil. And they found it. Thousands of years 1400 BC, okay, 1400 BC to 2018 in the specific area and land of Israel that they said it would be, and it's exactly where God said it would be. Just can't make this up. Nothing else like it. Well, let's continue. We're uh, probably going to finish the book here tonight. He says, your sandals shall be iron and bronze, and your days, so shall your strength be. There is no one like the God of Jeshron, Israel, who rides the heavens to help you, <laughs> and his excellency on the cloud. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms who will thrust out the enemy before you and will say, destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone. In the land of grain and new wine, his heavens shall also drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. The shield of your help and the sword of your majesty, your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places if only Israel would have obeyed. If they only would have obeyed, how much they could have been saved from destruction. Chapter 34, Moses then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pishgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. Do, do, you, do you see what's supernatural about that? If you've been to Israel, you were just at, you know, Lex was just in Israel, right? Other people, you're talking 100 miles away. He couldn't see this with the natural eye. What God was showing him was supernatural. He was taking him and showing him. And oh, by the way, the land of Nephetali, did you notice, are they in the land yet? They're not in the land. It's 50 years from now. 50 years before Nephetali will actually be in their part of the land that God is showing them. That's what's happening here. He's, he's, giving, them for, he's giving them foreknowledge before he, you know, before he dies. He says, in the land of Ephraim, right, to the south, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, that's the Mediterranean. The south, in the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of the palm trees, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you, see that there? I have caused you to see it with your eyes, 
but you shall not cross over there. God did that. God did that. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. Now, it's important that we read this here because there's this area where it says, according to the word of the Lord, there's some translations, rabbis had taught this and have been teaching this really for the last, I don't know, at least the last few thousand years. But in our translation, we say the Lord, you know, we read the Lord died in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. They translate that word for kiss. That what it explains in the rabbis is they try to explain it as it would pass down through tradition in this part of scripture. What they're saying is that God kissed Moses, almost like you would tuck someone in uh, to, and, and you would kiss them and then they would go to sleep. And that's the picture of what happened here. That Moses, he didn't die of old age. He just hiked up a mountain, right? I mean, he just climbed a mountain. I mean, he didn't die. He's 120 years old at this point. He's still got all his faculty. And we're going to read here in a moment. He's going to say it's not because of anything that, you know, was wrong with him. He had vigor. Well, he wasn't dim. He could see. He could hear. His faculty was all with him. It's though as God just kissed him and he just went to the presence of, of the Lord. And God... We, we don't see this anywhere else in Scripture. God officiates the funeral himself. We know that God is present. You know, when, when I'm doing a funeral, uh, you know, I've done funeral for some of you. When I'm doing a funeral for you, for your families like that, let me be clear, for your families, not you. I mean, for your families, I, I want to be clear, you're not still here. Um, for your families is what I meant. Um, when, when, when I, certainly the presence of the Lord is there. But, you know, God is officiating this. God is officiating this. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word, or kiss, if you prefer, of the Lord. And he, God, buried him in the valley, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Beor. But no one knows where his grave is today. Have you ever wondered why? I I think I explained why. I, I believe it's because... God knew that one day he, that body, he would take and he would transfigure. Jesus would be transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses would appear. And who do you think would want to steal that body to stop anything like that from ever happening? Satan, which is why it was hidden from him. And no man know whether it was the angels that dug, right, specifically, or God who supernaturally moved dirt and put the dirt back. We, we have nothing else like this. Nobody, nobody else has this kind of burial, right? We do a graveside. We lower the body down. We pray the blessing, right? We bring closure for the family. God did all this. God did this. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Beor. But no one knows where his grave is to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim nor his natural vigor diminished. He still had life in his body, but God said, rest. You know, I don't know about you, I think that's beautiful. You know, you, you see, some of us know, we're fortunate to know people like that, that, that live that beautiful ripe age and they still have all their faculty and all their mental and their physical with them and they go to sleep and they pass and 
and you know they're believers in Christ. And what a beautiful celebration that is. There was no suffering, you know, up until their last moment, you know. I know um, many of pastors, you know, in Calvary Chapel, the, the sort of the, jo- the joke is um, there is no retirement. There is no quitting. There is no such thing, you know. You, you know, when, when I die, I mean, like, you guys will have to, like, somebody will pull me over and somebody will finish the passage. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it was always done. That's the way it happened in the synagogues, you know. If a rabbi or somebody, was, that's the way it was done. Today, we, we're so far removed from that. But why? It's a celebration. It's beautiful. In service until the Lord takes us home. I, I wouldn't want any other thing. I don't want anything else. I don't know anything else. Moses, I, I look at this and I find great joy. I read this often. Sometimes when it gets difficult, or, you know, man, I'm tired. I read this and I'm like, nope. Nope. All right, Moses. I, I understand. When God says, rest. It's, it's God that tells us that, not, not anyone else. Uh, I mean, certainly we know people that unfortunately it's, it's not the case. You know, faculty does diminish, but the body is still... It's my prayer for all of us, though, that he would rapture us out tonight. <laughs> and we wouldn't have to worry about any of this. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. How about it? 30 days. I don't know if it's just me because of a pastor's heart. I'm like, 30 days? How about 45, 60? We get 90 in there? 30 days? Like he led you through the wilderness 40 years, your children, he took 30 days? And then they're on. They're over it. <laughs> a little too much of my personality in there. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since there there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That's an idiom. Talking about an intimacy. And all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before his servants, and in all his land. And by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Now, there are some that come back and say chapter 34 was appended on later. They'll say it was added somewhere around 120 to 160 A.D. They come back and say, there is no reason for us to speculate anything like that from the scripture. Is it Moses himself that wrote it? Maybe that last chapter, because God told him what was going to be. He told him he was going to die. He knew these things were going to happen. Could it have been Joshua that wrote it? He was there for the whole thing, remember? He was standing outside the tabernacle when God by pillars arrived and was speaking into, you know, into the air to Moses. As you heard it, Joshua would have heard it too. So that's why I pointed that back out in, in chapter 32 there because he was present. So, so I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer. I certainly know it wasn't written in 168 AD, though. I know it was written as God had said at that time. I just, you know, was it Joshua? You know, when we get to heaven and we see Joshua, Moses, hey, who wrote chapter 34? How about it? Right? We can ask him. Well, 
That includes really our teaching of the first five books, the Pentateuch, right? So now we're moving from the Pentateuch into what we call today the historical books in our canon, okay? So, you know, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Um, the Jewish canon of these books split them in two. I, I think you know that, or many of you probably know. Joshua, Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, uh, 1 and 2 Kings, they're the former prophets. And then um, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are the writings. So that's how the Hebrew canon breaks them up, okay? But we, took, we understand these as historical books, but it's more than history. They explain the exact events and how God was working in them and with the people. So it's more than just historical. And so starting next Wednesday, we are going to begin the book of Joshua. And we'll continue on line by line, verse by verse, book by book. Amen? I love Deuteronomy. Good, good. Pentateuch, good study, right? God is so faithful, so rich. Let's stand. We'll pray. And next week, I'll have an outline for you all set up that you can pick up um, with a brief introduction, um, talking about the book of Joshua. And then we'll go through the entire book and uh, we'll make our way through the historical books, okay? Father, we thank you. Lord, just... Lord, our study has been so rich. Lord, in these first five books that you've given us in the, in the Pentateuch here, Lord, and certainly we believe, as you told us in 1 Corinthians 10, these were all examples for us. Lord, even today, how we can learn from these. Certainly this was in, for Israel and in the context of Israel. But Lord, even as we study these things, Lord, to see your character, to see your love, to see your warnings, Lord, as you told us that they, you would bear witness, God, that even in the song, Lord, that we just read of Moses, that, that all these things, if Israel would just obey. God, I can't help but thinking you're telling that same thing to us today as your children. If we just would obey. Lord, in, in this country, we want to lift up the United States of America to you, Lord. We pray, God, forgive us for the murders and the abortions of the babies that are being murdered. God, we, we pray, forgive us for the con identity confusion on gender and, and, and homosexual marriage and how we've changed all of these things, Lord, to, to suit the needs of the people, taking our eyes off of you, Jesus, and what's right to satisfy the lusts of a flesh. God, forgive us for a nation that's made idols, Lord, with our hands. Not in the idols of the Old Testament, but, Lord, idols of our imaginations. For you told us that we would, you, you prophesied that these letters, that we would seek after. Maybe not us here, Lord, our nation. We're, we're interceding, Jesus, on behalf of this country right now. And so, Jesus, we just pray, forgive us. And, and Lord, I pray, please, Begin a revival here. Begin a revival in our hearts here tonight. Lord Jesus, I pray first, Maranatha, that you would come and rapture us. But Lord, if you should tarry, I pray for our president. I pray for our vice president. I pray for our governor. I pray for all of those in power here tonight, Lord, that you've placed us under. I pray for Israel, Lord. I pray for Netanyahu. I pray for the establishments that you've established there. And, and Lord, all around the world, God, I pray for a humbling of heart that the world would cry out to you, Jesus, that no longer would we want to do what's right in our own eyes, but God, we would turn to you humbly. 
God, Jesus, thank you for your word. We have everything we need in front of us and within our hearts. Jesus, birth that process in those that don't know you today. Reach out to the prodigals, Lord. Draw them in. Reach out to those that have, Lord, never heard your word or heard about you, Jesus. Let their eyes be open through a spiritual awakening, Lord, like you did with Edwards through the Great Awakening. God, touch every soul that's here tonight and, and give them a word, Lord Jesus. Give them gifts. Pour out your gifts upon them that they can minister to the body of Christ and to those not in this body that they would, Lord Jesus, so gently and lovingly Give the gospel the good news of you, our Lord and Savior. We praise you and we thank you for this, Lord. And we ask you for peace, Lord. We ask you for comfort in our hearts, not comfort in this world, but in our hearts that, Lord, we can endure the oppression and affliction in the days ahead. That we will be faithful soldiers to stand, Lord, even unto the time of martyrdom. God, Jesus, we love you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And all God's people prayed, amen. God bless you all. I love you all. Have a good evening.